Good afternoon. Welcome back to Chewing It Over. I'm still Jack Chew and it's another Friday episode. of. I'm always excited about the Friday ones. They always feel a bit more upbeat, up-tempo and you lot know that you've got a couple of days without me. So you're all in a better mood as well. And also on Fridays, uh, when I think about Friday guests, it's always easier. If I'm feeling upbeat and high tempo, then it's good to have friends on. And I've certainly got a friend of mine I'm looking forward to reacquainting with. Nikki Warren is joining me on the show today to talk a little bit about a project she's been involved in. She's an ex-colleague of mine at IPOP's service, which is no longer called that, but I forget what acronym they're going by these days. Um, and she's here to talk about something that broke the internet. You might have noticed it on Twitter. Paula Deacon, uh, our Matt's still my colleague at MSKR, but also uh, Nikki's clinical lead. She posted onto Twitter about this new serious pathology resource, and it just went absolutely mad. And so thousands upon thousands of people you know downloading that and I'll, I'll post the link in the chat but if you haven't seen it already uh then I'll, you'll be able to get your hands on it and i just wanted to talk to nikki about its creation the reasons for it as well as why these things might then proliferate nikki also did a um an advanced practice fellowship in in that service as well um the titles are inaccurate in the sense that i think the titles say that she's still on that of course i didn't realize how long it is since we worked together and so it's actually she's passed through that now fully established advanced practitioner um, and so um, forgive me for, for that. It's a bit dated now, is that? Let me know if you can hear me okay. I know we had a bit of crackling on my microphone last time. So all this fancy technology, I still don't know how to use it. So uh, please let me know if you can hear me okay in the chat function and to get involved with today's conversation. But hopefully in a couple of clicks, I can bring you Nikki Warren. Nikki, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, Jack. Nice one. Now, Hi. The most important thing for me to ask before we get stuck into that, the subject matter of today is we used to work together. It's been a few years. Do you miss me? Um, Jack and I must then ask you, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad you're leaning into that joke now because, of course, you had named him Jack prior to meeting me and I managed to not spoil Absolutely. it. I was always worried that, that getting to know me would mean you'd actually change his name by deed poll or something like it would have poisoned uh, the yeah, name. Yeah, I, I did consider it a few times, but uh, <laughs> no, no, she's still Jack. Now, yeah. one, of the, one, no, of the, one of the fun things about our relationship, shall we say, is that uh, we, we, we were known across the jewellery quarter of Birmingham as a couple for a while because you helped me to pick out my wife's engagement ring of which we designed from scratch and you're a bit of a jewellery buff. So we were like um, expecting our, our partners to, to hear rumours of us waltzing around jewellery quarter together for a time. But I want to thank you once again for that intervention. That was a brilliant period of time that I have fond memories of. Yeah. But Jackie you weren't there when I actually broke the wax mould by forcing it onto my finger when <laughs> we went to check it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You were you were there as my consultant, and then you had to you I were know. mortified ringing me about that. But um, you know that, that's uh, that's just something that when I think back to those times. So we're talking about when I was working in the IPOP service under with Paul and Nikki, Emma, uh, Richard, and a number of just incredible clinicians that I'm so lucky to have worked with. I reluctantly left that post probably about three years ago now. Is it? And, um, yeah, and and I just I was sort of drawn too thin and was commuting a long way. But what has happened since is that you then moving into more advanced practice and you've developed then this resource, which just really it seemed to light the touch paper a few weeks ago. And uh, and and I think I want to talk to you a bit about how that came about, but also then why it is that right. those sorts of resources are so craved by the advanced practice community and msk community generally like what is it about them so to start with just tell us about how that got conceived of and, and what is it 
so I think Jack initially thoughts around it were I was obviously on the advanced practice um, fellowship, which we'd um, started in house um, with Paula Deacon leading it, and um, Emma Keatley as my mentor on that, Paula and Denise actually. Um, and I think it was you, you sort of go back to being a student again, don't you? You know, people are watching you again. You're coming out and you're saying, okay, what must should could I be asking these patients, mm. thinking in different ways? And I said to Emma the one day, it'd be great if all this information, these special questions, and these red flags, was just in a really sort of quick kind of guide. So I, I don't forget it. I'm a busy mom, and sometimes you don't, you know, yeah, I don't want to miss anything here. And we talked about it for a while and said, oh, yeah, it'd be brilliant. We'll get a little handbook, you know, like you said, as a student. Um, and it was working on a clinic with Paula. I was on an FCP clinic at some of our first ones, really. Right. Um, just as part of my training within the role was to just do some FCP work as well. And we've got some new clinics starting that we're piloting. And, and we've got a really complex patient. I think she came in with four different problems. And I said, I just want a way of screening really quickly and just running through and making sure I've asked those pertinent questions. And sometimes it's just knowing what other pathologies it could be as well and how they could link. Um, and I sort of I thought about, you know, just a re I said, almost like an app or a quick guide that I could just think, boom, 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 I've asked these questions. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean the patient hasn't got that pathology just because you've asked those questions or gone through those signs and symptoms, but it almost just gives you that bit of a quick resource, a quick reference guide, a bit like the screendom and the, you know, the um, called acquirer alert card, you know, just, a, just something quick in clinic, you're really busy, you've got 20 minutes. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll ask around, I'll see if there's something out there, because Paula, you know, she, she's really keen to... Uh, to, to you know get that information see what we can get you know promoting our sort of education in house really mm. and then we asked around there didn't seem to be anything out there so she was like right we need to write it then we need to create something and really it was just for our internal use it was just for our clinicians we've got a lot of new clinicians starting into svp roles right i think people are quite nervous in those roles aren't they because mm. it's you're that first contact aren't you mm. um and a lot of clinicians have been used to, to, to being that first contact. But I think for some of ours, our clinicians, we weren't. Um, so, you know, she said, well, write it and let's see how it goes, see what we can come up with together. So we all sort of, I wouldn't say wrote it because all that information is out there already. We've just collated it and put it together in one place, mm. you know, and it got refined and refined. And I suppose through lockdown, it gave us a great time to do it during COVID because, you know, I wasn't living my uh, jet set lifestyle in suburban St. Carlfield. So uh, <laughs> I just thought, what else have I got to do, really? It became, it became um, extra, extra productive. No, I can, I can imagine. Especially, yeah, with, me, especially with me not distracting you sat next door. Oh, yeah. If you'd have been there chat chatting to me, I'd never got anything done. <laughs> We're as bad as each other, though, weren't we? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm amazed. It would be hilarious if we do manage to keep this to time because that would be the first time ever. I know, I know. Ridiculous. So that's where it came from. And, and I think, you know, we all wrote parts of it. We all collected the information. We refined it. Sean brilliantly made it look at, you know, better. It was, you know, on some basic Word document when I finished with it. Right. Um, so he, he put it into the trust branding and, and, and all of those stuff. And then we, then we ran it past, you know, a lot of our colleagues within, in, in MPFT. So we put those people in the acknowledgements. Um, a friend of mine who was working on her first clinic as an SCP, and she said, you know, it's really invaluable, actually. I've, I've really used it, you know, just as a reminder or 
a quick guide, but we didn't want it to be like an algorithm or a recipe book. It's not, you know, 101, this is how you, you know, do course, SVP yeah. or ES, APP. It was just more of a, it's a, just a guide for clinicians to help, really. Mm, yeah, um, bit, and it's just a quick reminder. Bit of a clinical yeah, friend, yeah, I can yeah. really see that. Like, oh, I've posted it in the, for those that are watching this live, obviously you're coming at it from Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Some things let me post comments from here. Um, and I've, for those that do, I've put it on the on the chat function. So if you're watching this on somewhere like Instagram and stuff, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can click these links. But if you, you find it onto the where else we've streamed it, like Facebook and stuff on Physio Matters, then you can find and click that link and you can have a look at the guide that we're talking about in more detail. But Nikki, I want to ask a few weeks ago, Paula tweeted about it. And honestly, yeah. the it must have, I know it even surprised me, and a few things surprised me in this space anymore, but it really did seem to catch on. Like, what do you think yeah. it is that's um, did it surprise you firstly? And then secondly, when it when it has then been downloaded in its thousands, what do you think it is that makes people really crave guys like this? I mean, we were surprised. I was, it was quite overwhelming, really, because it was just it was just as a little internal guide for us, you know, to help our yeah. conditions and. Okay. You know, it, we didn't even, it wasn't really a planned release. You know, Paula said, you know, this is great stuff. I think it will really help other clinicians. We agreed, you know, well, let's get it out there and see what happens. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a shock. And I think, I don't know, maybe it's because we're all, I think we're all okay with the spinal stuff. You know, um, that, that's, you know, the, we've got some brilliant stuff out there, the international framework piece that's been done. You know, but I think it's the peripheral stuff, maybe. There's not as much out there on it, or that's maybe all been put into one place. I think it's been said probably as physios, we like a bit of a checklist, and we do, don't we? We like to tick things off, and it's, you know, it makes life a bit easier, maybe. And, and, but it's just having it all in one place and a, a quick reference, really. But I think there's probably some more context needed around it on how to use it, and, you know, this isn't a recipe. If a yeah. patient has got all these symptoms, it doesn't mean they've got this. You don't have to go down these pathways we've put in because a lot of those are our local pathways and they're just suggestions and guidance, really. Right. Um, you know, there's probably some more context. We've had some feedback about that and that, you know, some brilliant feedback off people, you know, good, good and, and sort of, you know, actually we could improve it with this. And that's, I suppose, what we want to hear. We want that feedback so we can refine it, make it a more robust document. Mm -hmm. um, maybe change it for certain um, environments, different locations. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it can I be quite know. an ex that can be quite an exposing moment, though, can't it? When something like that oh, yeah. catches and lights. Well, obviously, I've had some experience of that a few years back. Now, I'm obviously not quite that naive now that we're broadcasting to so many people. But at the yeah. time when some of our first stuff went out there, it's a, it's a brilliant feeling. But then also, it's quite it brings with it some more responsibility because that, that sensible, yeah. hopefully um, productive, constructive feedback starts to come in that you, you know, you want to, it becomes its own yeah. own project again, doesn't it then? So yeah. I'm glad you've yeah. been able to, to embrace that. And, and, and it was so well received and rightly so it really is a brilliant guide. I think, and I agree with you that the people are looking for, I think it, it speaks to this wider thing we've spoken about on this show many times, which is that, people are craving support from wherever they can find it. Like the, the pressure yeah. that is on. Yeah, and, and, and that's even, I'm, I can say that independent of the pandemic, but particularly in and around the new ways of working and the ways in which we're all having to adapt. 
but the way that the social circumstances have changed means that the weight of pressure that exists and the, the crying need that patients have means that there's just more and more on, on, on clinicians' shoulders. And so for you to have created this, it's no surprise to me that it's truly been an emergent thing for you to create locally. As you've just said, I didn't know that, that it was, came from you just asking a clinical question of your, of your uh, supervisory team saying, I'd like this. It's like, it's one of the things I always, I, I hope I encourage you on is that your instincts and your questions that you asked, you, you know, were, were, were good proxies for that role. You know, that's one of the things that was interesting about you emerging into that fellowship is you were coming at it as a really experienced quality rehab clinician that then wanted to aspire into advanced practice and would, would do that with an open mind. Your questions were on the tip of the tongue of so many others. And I think that this has hopefully proved to you and to others that, that there is a commonality there. And the blueprints, this it's a bit silly that it takes for a local service to need to do this and imagine about the inefficiency of the fact that other services will be doing something similar everywhere else it's like why yeah, are we not yeah. maturely pooling resources and we spoke a lot about that i remember when we were working together is that it feels yeah. too fractured too siloed are you hoping that things like this help to help us to learn that lesson and to make things more efficient especially on taxpayer money oh yeah Definitely. And, uh, you know, I was surprised that there isn't something out there. Maybe there is somewhere we've just not found it. Mm. But it, it is about that. Stop rewriting these things and, and creating new stuff. And actually, like you say, let's pull it all together and, and, and put all those brilliant clinicians we've got out there and, you know, pull those brains out into these sort of projects, really, but together. Um, mm. Absolutely. But I think I was just always the person in lectures that I put my hand up and asked a stupid question that I knew everyone else was thinking, but then they're never going to ask, you know, oh, Nicole asked that one. Yeah. So I think, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd always got it in my head, but it was like, oh, no, we don't need that. Maybe it's already out there. And but I was just like, oh, and, you know, Paul is a driving force. She'll say, right, let's do it. You know, she really mm -hmm. did drive us forward to do it, um, yes. which was great. And without everybody, the whole sort of team writing mm -hmm. it together, um, you know, it, it did come together. It was a lot of work, but yeah, maybe it was the purple and yellow though that attracted everyone. I'm thinking. Not enough blue <laughs> on it for my taste, but anyway, I'll let no, you. No, know. and me, I'll, I'd like a bit more blue, but those are our <laughs> Absolutely. But Liz Bailey here has posted a comment saying, "Written by clinicians for clinicians, exactly what we needed," and she jumped on it and got that downloaded. Now, I think there's something about that, isn't it? When there's a truly emergent resource that speaks to a clinical need, there's something very different to that than an academic piece, even one that's been translated for clinicians. There is something yeah. about truly emergent circumstances where, and I overuse this metaphor, no doubt, you know, I do definitely as a broadcaster, but I think you'll heard me say it too many times clinically when we work together, is the rubber hits the road sometimes. You know, you, you've got these facts of the matter in clinic where you've got to make some decisions and you need support to make those calls. And it's those things where you can't, you can't really draw on the evidence as research evidence. It's like this practical applied synthesized yeah. stuff that people are looking for. And I think that that's what Liz is saying there is that that seems to be a relevant variable as to why this seems to have caught on. Absolutely. And, and Jack, my, my ultimate goal really was to have it as an app. You know, I love an app on my phone that I could just click on and get to the information quickly. We haven't got time in clinic, have we? We're under pressure. Yeah. And you just want to think, that lady with four different problems, have I, done, have I checked everything? I think we're all a bit afraid of missing things as well, but it is that pressure. Um, and I mm. think 
that point you made about people are craving support. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're coming into some, you know, new areas of physio, certainly, and, and we're all new to it, really. And if anything can just give us a bit of a guide or a bit of a resource, you know, everything, it, it's just helpful, isn't it? And you need it to be quick. I think that's the, that's the thing people want. For sure. Now, when, when, when we were um, working together, and I, I haven't shared, checked this line of inquiry with you, so maybe I should have done, but I suspect you weren't <laughs> no, saying no. this, right? But we were when you were you had this nature of being really inquisitive which obviously suits me that's exactly how my entire career has unfolded but it also meant that you were in a situation where it was often difficult for you to to reflect quick you know enough on what you were finding because you had lots of questions but you just didn't back yourself on some of the answers and that you therefore yeah. the advanced practice reasoning that, that that's that sort of triage based logic it was it was something that you felt you were having to retrofit into your practice. And I remember when we were working together, I, I ragged on you fairly hard on some stuff. Like, you know, I was I was I had to quite co confront you and, and, and not give you answers. And, 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 to, and to, it felt like quite a, a, it never came between us, but it was definitely something I had to be more confrontational as an educator than I'd like. And yeah. I know Emma Keatley obviously did working with you more closely than I was at that time, but that definitely seemed to apply for you where we just couldn't give you, if we gave you answers, you weren't going to learn them. You had to be exposed. Do you feel like that balance was struck well? Or do you feel like it was, was it overexposing sometimes? Did it, did it drag on because you kind of elicited too many answers from us? How do you feel that balance was struck for that developing role, that fellowship that we talked about? Oh, I think it's brilliant, Jack. And I think, you know, people watching you and observing you, Sometimes you've not been watched for 10 years, have you? You know, mm. in practice, it's quite frightening. You know, some days I felt like I was on that program faking it and I was just pretending to be a physio, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God, they're going to know. They're going to know I'm no good. And it, it is really exposing. But I'll tell you what, it's a brilliant process to go through because it does make you reevaluate, um, go away and learn, learn stuff. Um, it puts it into context with patients as well because a lot of the times you go away and read stuff but unless it's in that context of a clinical scenario sometimes it just doesn't stick and mm. it was going away and saying well what you know what else could it be you know what what mm. could these things be how could you ask those questions differently I mean you said to me you know how could you you know you need to be a little bit more open in your questioning because my questions were probably quite closed you know, and I was from a secondary care background initially where we'd often got a diagnosis. So primary care was all still, you know, quite recent for me anyway. So it's just brilliant to get that feedback from people, I think, and just, just put that all together and use it to, mm. to increase that experience. And it's invaluable really doing that. You can go on a course and you can learn these bits, but unless it's in that context, unless it's on, on, the, you know, on, on, on the ground floor really, um, on the shop floor, so I should say, on the shop floor. It, it, it's really hard to put that into context then. I mean, no, it was brilliant. It was really good. That yeah, you were pretty harsh, Jack. Well, as I say, I think uh, one of the funny things there was that, we, yeah, we, we, we got on dead well and still do in such a way that I felt like it was unlikely that it was ever going to come between us. But I remember it feeling right. like, I remember, remember saying to various people, including you after the fact that, it, I had to I had to be more standoffish than I would normally be because you were someone that was you, know, was, you were self-assured and comfortable. You didn't mind asking the questions and you didn't mind the fact that you like felt like they were stupid questions. But 
partly your inquisitive nature on that meant that you you had more questions than answers and weren't trusting your own answers almost and so that experiential yeah. learning of just you've got to give it a whirl you know just just suck it yeah. in what are the consequences and we then were able to provide and that's one of the things i wanted to get to really is that the you know how passionate i was about the provision model of that service and and also the personnel of course but i mean the ability for us to literally be a curtain away that did seem to make a difference. And I know it did for my own development in that service, right? I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying this as if I was some sort of lofty educator in there. Obviously, I was on the same sort of learning curve, but it's that, that massively was helpful. The fact that we could grab each other and say, Do you have a look at this? Yeah. That, 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 that seems a bit unusual. You know, are you seeing, you know, that, that seems atypical atrophy or something like that? that yeah. Whereas we're, we're seeing, uh, I make this case in a world of which it feels like we're, being siloed off a little bit and that those departments those through curtain conversation type things are less and less you know it's less of a model and i don't know if i'm comfortable with the fact that we might all have literal walls between us now there's confidentiality gains that come from being in side rooms right but being a different practice across the different side of town and stuff isn't quite the same what's your take on the sort of politics of that in terms of integrated models versus siloed models yeah, I mean, I'm all for the integrated model. I think just because I've worked in it now for sort of six, seven years, and I've, I've learned more in this time, I think, than I've learned in my whole career, really. Right. And that is just from listening into people, from, you know, people coming in and listening to you, and, and feeling comfortable that you can grab your colleagues and not feel stupid, really. And, and it's that really good culture that you don't feel like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think um, this has been really difficult, you know, with sort of lockdown and, and the pandemic at the moment. People are missing those corridor conversations, those sort of water cooler conversations, as they call them. You know, where you do learn a lot of uh, uh, mm. that's experiential learning. You're missing a lot of that, um, you know, and, and I think it's so important. Um, mm. but, but it is difficult. We've also got to manage the... the um, uh, you know, keeping people sort of uh, distanced and, and patient safety at the moment, it's really yeah. hard. But I think we've got to have a combination of both, really. Mm. Um, because for, for me, I, th I think it was a brilliant learning process, and I'm sure you found that, Jack, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, for, sure. for sure. No, I think, um, yeah, integrating sort of APPs with your physios, I mean, we're all in together. Yeah, we know what, what the physios are, are doing with patients. We know what we're doing with patients. They know what, you know, you can ask those questions. And it, I think that guide is for everybody because even if you've got band sixes using it and saying, oh, I've noticed a few of these, these things have popped up. Can I just have that chat with you? If it starts those conversations and it's food for thought, then that's brilliant. And in integrated practice, you can do that really easily, can't you? Mm. But, um, no, definitely. And it's not, yeah. it's, it's not, it, I think what's interesting and one of the reasons why I, I sort of I'm asking questions in that direction is because it's not it's not inherent to some service models, whereas mm -hmm. it's not as if you have to protect and, and almost codify that time or that, that opportunity. It's not as if that was baked into the model. It emerges from it. It emerges from a culture and environment. It literally writing on notes shoulder to shoulder made a difference to the fact that then we developed um a kinship not just professionally and personally but then also the ability to then it didn't feel like an oppressive sort of eye on you if either of us were in the same cubicle it just because it yeah. felt so natural whereas i think some models 
if there's some uh, supervision that gets retrofit into it, it feels like a be it feels like a, a a set of eyes you're not expecting to be also in there, and you and you therefore yeah. perform differently. And I think that that normalizing that level of it is is something that was so important, and something I took from from working with you all that makes me realize that I I'm at pains to admit that I feel like I'm hearing less and less about that model rather than more and more. I like that's exactly what I want to proliferate. But I think that it's been seen as if it's an inefficient model rather than realizing that that is how you get the very best out of the clinicians, as well as the more fulfilling work of not feeling exposed and overpressured. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, you've and got I think some questions looked... coming in here. Sorry, Nick, it is a bit of a lag. Yeah, carry on. Talking yeah. you, but Chris, Chris Cowley, I think it is there, who's saying there's a gap in his opinion between knowledge of research and putting it into practice and helping patients through it. He says that he follows up and says, observe stuff really highlights this nicely and helps us improve by all professions. Have you ever felt, and I feel like this is conversations that we've had maybe over a, a beer before, but have you ever felt like there's a sort of a heavy hand of research expectation on practice, like it, you, uh, keeping up to date or, or not? Yeah, I think we all feel that pressure, don't we? And obviously it's part of the um, advanced practice. It's one of the clinical pillars, isn't it, really, with research and mm. and. You know, yeah, it is a lot of pressure on clinicians. You you don't have loads of time to do that, mm. um, and you want you want to be as, as up to date as possible. And you know, but um, I think probably with the fact that you know that we can do more of the sort of training, we can use technology to our advantage with Zoom trainings and people getting together in that way. Um, maybe just save a bit of time with that and sort of, you know, maybe that'll get things out there quicker. People will hear about them more. Um, but yeah, it, I think it is a lot of pressure and um, to try and fulfill all, all that as a clinician as well. Mm. And just applying it, like that's the thing that needs to be yeah. expected. It's just like, yeah. let's, let's not make the mistake of thinking that we can, you know, it's just the act of learning it or getting it in people's minds. It's actually then applying yeah. it sensibly. Is, is, is what I think, I think what. What's great in our service, and, and, and Paul is really good at making us do this. So after, say, um, Therapy Live last year, after um, the International Framework came out, we set up a meeting with everyone, you know, all the, all the sort of clinicians within the trust physio teams and others, and said, right, what now? What do we do with this information and how are we going to put it into practice? Right. Um, you know, we've integrated stuff into pathways. Um, you know, we've talked it over, people have got action points from it because she's very much a believer and it's okay listening to it, but what now? What do we do with that information? How do we make that relevant to our service and clinical practice, improving the quality of our care? So actually, you know, that is, I think it's a really good way of doing it. You know, not just everybody watching that and then, you know, sort of going off in their separate little individual yeah. paths and, oh, I'll use this and I'm going to yeah. pop that into my my you know, uh, uh, clinical um, uh, sort of uh, regime. It's actually putting it together as a service. And, and I think that's where we're truly integrated with that. You know, but Paul and Denise, really big drivers of that. Let's use that now, um, you know, within sort of uh, the, the uh, MSK and Tamworth and Litchfield services. Absolutely, no. And, th and thank you for to all of you for obviously coming up with it's not necessarily an instinct that everyone shares when you come up with something brilliant locally to therefore share that and think this should be this would be in the best interest and i think that sometimes protectionism comes in 
sometimes the sort of internal politics within different organizations stop them sharing but it really does raise all standards and, and that's obviously my core project is raising msk standards so the fact that yeah. even though we've not you know we've although we've not lost touch we've, we've not worked together for a few years the fact that things like this and things that you guys are doing in service continue to to help the whole profession and me and mine you know it's something that we are obviously using and referencing so it's quite exciting that 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 ecosystem can be more national and international rather than just hyper local uh, because i think that's how we're how we're going to get through all this um yeah if, definitely it's, it's the last uh, the last few minutes uh, before we wrap up nikki and, and i felt like yeah. We've talked a bit about some of our fond memories. I opened the show by talking a little bit about your support uh, for me in, in, in finding and, and actually making an engagement ring from scratch for your jewellery <laughs> expertise. But one of my favourite memories, I don't know about you, of course, is when I happened to come across what I thought was a, this, this shadow silhouette of what it turns out was Nikki, what I thought was, a, was an old lady hiding behind the curtains. So I don't know if you can recognise this, Disney character that, that, that Nikki was emulating uh, has just out of interest has your posture improved since then or are you still stooping over you know oh yeah still, still, still hunched every day Jack look at that oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't see the show out without putting those images on they're still my favourite oh you just, just so, so busy in clinic weren't you Jack yeah you, that's how hard I worked absolutely but also me working hard behind the curtains even the way that Jack just taking pictures. <laughs> the thing is, though, in my defence, it's the easiest thing as well for me to find now that it exists because me and you send it to each other on WhatsApp every now and again to cheer each other up. Yeah, yeah. So it was easy for Absolutely. me to find it. Thanks so much, mate. It's been great to catch up. Uh, love to the yeah, family and to the service. And, uh, and we'll, yeah. we'll speak soon. Well done with this resource. And no doubt you, you, the dizzy heights of your career are just going to go from strength to strength. And so we'll catch up at various intervals on or off air. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Jack. Thank Take care. All the best. Bye. Bye. Bye.